uh, book of Job while, while uh, Josh has, has been away. Uh, we are in that last chapter, chapter 42 of Job, and it's a tradition at FCBC that I forget to dismiss the children. Uh, so children five years through fifth grade are free to go to uh, Bible Explorers. But uh, yeah, page 446 is where you would find Job chapter 42 as the children go out. Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, thank you for being the God who uh, doesn't give up on us, who uh, leaves the 99 to search for the one, who uh, sweeps the house looking for the lost coin. Uh, and thank you that it does bring joy to your heart uh, and, and all the company of heaven uh, when one of us repents. May we uh, take these words to heart, your words uh, to heart, and uh, proclaim our unworthiness and at the same time take joy uh, that you have made us righteous. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So we are in Job chapter 42 um, today, and, and uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I, I um, read a quote from Tozer. I'm going to read it again in which he said, um, A.W. Tozer said, God is speaking. Not God spoke, but God is speaking. He is by nature continuously articulate. He fills the world with his speaking voice. And then uh, last week, um, uh, and I've heard from many of you who were impacted by this uh, sermon uh, last week of, um, uh, by, by our pastor and elder, Jason Ludwig, on chapters 38 through 41, uh, when, when God speaks directly to Job out of the whirlwind. If you are a parent, you have probably said at least once, as, as I have, do my children hear my words? Okay. All of us who are or who have been children have probably said, does anybody hear me? We ask these questions often in exasperation because we expect that when we speak, our words will be heard and they will cause change. Right? That change might be that the chores would be done, that the room gets cleaned up. Uh, maybe that the problem our, or, or our, uh, our problems may be understood or that someone would just hear our grief, our suffering. When God speaks, his voice demands an answer. Uh, it's a response, and, and our response should involve change. It should change our knowledge, right? What we know to be true. Uh, but it also should change how we speak and how we act. So our sermon in, in the nutshell today is that God's voice demands a change in our worldview, in our words, and in our walk. For the past four chapters, again, that, uh, that Jason uh, preached on last week, God, God has answered Job out of the whirlwind. It, it, but as, as Jason uh, taught us, God does not answer Job's questions. Instead, he gives a revelation of God's person to him. Through 50 questions, intense imagery, God takes Job on a tour 
of, of creation. And he, and he teaches him geography, right, and, and astronomy, and oceanography, and biology, and zoology. But that's not the purpose of that speech, to teach Job how the earth was made, or, or how the mountain goats give birth, or who Leviathan was. It's to teach Job two other ologies. Anthropology, right, who man is, uh, but more importantly, theology, who God is, and, and, and what it means for a man to live in front of God. Who is this sovereign, powerful, majestic, all-knowing God who answers me out of the whirlwind? And who am I to stand in the presence and question him? As Job begins to understand uh, this improved sense of anthropology and enlightened theology, we see that his worldview, uh, what he knows to be true, changes. And that his words, how he speaks, change. And then his walk, what he does, how he acts, must change as well. So in Job chapter 42, we start in verses 1 and 2. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job's worldview has changed. Right? How could it not be? Again, over those 50 questions, uh, uh, those four chapters of, uh, well, after 20 chapters of back and forth between Job's friends and, and, and Job, right? And then and the stinging rebuke from Elihu, the Lord God himself speaks to Job out of the whirlwind. And, and, and God starts each of his two speeches in those four chapters with these words. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. And then he sings out these four chapters of what we call the theophany. What, uh, God revealing himself is what, was what that means. And through these questions, through this tour of creation, God reveals his majesty, his sovereignty, his power, his might. And in so, he reveals who Job is. As Jason said, a speck on a speck. It's before the infinite and almighty God of the universe. Job's worldview has changed. He says, I know now. Right? It's not that Job didn't know before that God was sovereign. Remember way back in chapter two or chapter one, he said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In, in verse five here, we will read later. He says, there has been a change of his knowledge, right? I'd heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. His knowledge of God, this knowledge of God has progressed from his ears to his eyes, and now from his mind into his heart. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It changes how Job views God, the world that he has made, and the infinitely vast chasm between who God is and who Job is. With his change of worldview, Job knows that his words also must change. And so in the next verses, 
He quotes God first. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? And then he says, therefore, I have understand, or I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Quotes God again, hear, and I will speak. I will question you and, make, and you make it known to me. Suddenly, Job understands the gravity of the accusations he has made against God's character and God's actions. The, the, the words that he has said before the sovereign king of the universe have become plain to him. He has spoken of things he does not understand. And in doing so, he has boasted in himself and he has made accusations against the God of true righteousness. He, like his friends, has oversimplified the unsearchable. He has dulled the wonderful. And in doing so, he has embraced the earthly by disdaining the heavenly. And, and, and he has exalted the profane while profaning the holy. He's yearned for the glory of his temporal past, what it used to be like for him, instead of setting his eyes on the eternal God. God's, revela God's revelation has, has brought him to the realization that, that his words were rash. Right? That, and so while earlier he had put his hand over his mouth and said he would speak no more, he knows now that he must speak with new words that express his new worldview and that also convict, or convict and commit him to a changed walk. And so in the next couple verses, we see how, this, uh, how he commits to this walk. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. See, John Miller writes, For me, though I can discover God as my hope, only as he reveals himself to me by faith. Believing is the cause of knowing. Knowing, including self-analysis, is not the cause of believing. Believing is the cause of knowing. Knowing is not the cause of believing. In our evangelical Christian culture today, we are very apt to mistake knowledge for faith. We rightly value the, the study of God's scripture, and we, and we should. Right? We, we value the study of doctrine and theology, and we should value that. However, that knowledge, apart from believing, is not faith. And without faith, it is not knowledge at all. Jesus says in the, in the Gospel of God, John, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see, he cannot perceive the kingdom of God. We can learn about God. We can know things about God. And we can even be considered, in the eyes of the world, experts on God, experts on faith, experts on theology and doctrine. But until God reveals himself to us, and opens our eyes to his kingdom, just like the learned 
Pharisees and Paul who was among them, right? We will only be blind guides. Praise God who meets us on our own roads to Damascus as we walk on our own way right, for our own purposes. And sometimes, praise God, he strikes us blind to the world so that we can get a glimpse of heaven. And when those scales, when they fall from our eyes, right, and when we perceive the true God of heaven and earth, it, that changes our worldview, what we know to be true. It changes our words, what we proclaim to be true, but it also gives us a desire to change our walk, the direction we are going and the purposes for which we are going there. Job's words seem pretty harsh to us. I despise myself, especially when it's so common, again, in our culture to, to say we need to love ourselves. I despise myself goes counter uh, to this sentiment. But the Hebrew uh, word for despise and the Greek equivalent, of, they appear 112 times in the Scripture. But here's the sad part. Usually when it is a person speaking, that word is used to say that that person despises God, his laws, his ways. It's God that we loathe, God that we reject. So Job's not, not saying that he rejects this body uh, that, that God has made. He's not rejecting his suffering that God ordained. He is instead rejecting his own ways that he used to desire. And so now he repents in dust and ashes. The imagery is here of mourning. And the word repent here means a turning, a redirecting, a desire to change his walk, to submit to the sovereign God that he has now seen with his own eyes. And here's something, I, many of you know, Job is, has been my favorite book of the Bible. I have read it over and over, and my kids have heard me read it over and over aloud to them. Uh, but I, until this past week, had never noticed this, that here we are in, in chapter 42, verse 6, and Job is exactly where he was in chapter 2, right? When he was, he's sitting in the ashes then, suffering. And here in chapter 42, verse 6, he's sitting in the ashes, suffering. Verse 7 hasn't happened. He has no idea what is coming in the next sermon by, by Pastor Michael. He has no expectation that his suffering will get better, that he will be healed, that he will be restored. He is still in the ashes suffering. Forty chapters later, after a lament and hurt and accusations and pride and rebuke and finally revelation, he is right back where he started. Yet that's not true. Job's circumstances haven't changed but Job has changed. Job's worldview has changed. His, his words have changed. And, and, and because, the, the reason for this is because Job has encountered the God who is sovereign in his suffering. 
So again, next week, we're going to hear the culmination of this story, that, that after this repentance from his own path and return to the fear of the sovereign Lord, that it will lead to reconciliation, renewal, and restoration of his relationship with God. Again, if you were here last week, you heard Jason speak of the glory of God. He illustrated the, the proclamation of, of magnificence that God makes uh, using the vastness of his creation. Elihu had asked, uh, or had commanded, really, Job, stop and consider the, the, the wondrous works of God. And so, have you this past week stopped and considered the wondrous works of God? Here in New Hampshire, on a day like today, it is hard to miss. Over the past two weeks, I've had a couple opportunities to stand on the top of, of Gunstock Mountain and, uh, and just on, on these, these clear days that we've had and uh, see the blanket of snow that, that God has put on the earth. Chip and his prayer this morning at, at a Sunday school uh, brought up how, how the, that blanket of snow should remind us of how white God cleanses us from our sins. But then looking past that blanket of snow, I can see 15 miles across Lake Winnipesaukee. Tells, or the book of Job tells us that by the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen fast. And then beyond that, 50 miles away, I could see Mount Washington, a mile high, literally over a mile high. And I can't stop but say, oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then I consider that Mount Everest is five times taller still and 150 times further away. And even if I were to fly directly all the way to Mount Everest, I would still only be one-third of the circumference of the earth away. And then consider that that 24,000 miles of, of our, our circumference of, of, of the earth it, it is that the distance to the sun is 4,000 times greater. And then if I were to go a quarter million times further than that, that's how long it would take for me to get to the next closest star. And even if I could travel that far, I wouldn't have gone any significant distance across the, the, the known universe, the known universe. Friends, even our limited sight, smell, our touch, taste, and hearing take in more creation than we could ever know or come close to understanding. And those senses are limited. The psalmist asks, I, I lift up my eyes to the hill. From where does my help come? Our, our help does not come from the hills, from the snow, from the, the, the lakes, from, from the mountains, right? the land, the sky, the space, the stars, the planets, or anything else in all creation. As the psalm continues, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. If you have spent any time here at FCBC, right, 
you have heard of God by the hearing of the ear. It is my hope, though. It is the hope of every faithful pastor, minister of, of the gospel, that each person would come to know not just of God, but, but to know God, to meditate upon him, on his works, to contemplate his nature, right? to, to trust his character, to walk in his paths, and thus not only hear of him by the hearing of the ears, but to see him. If you go forward to uh, page 976, Ephesians chapter 1, Pastor Paul, after he'd been struck blind and then his sight was restored, wrote this in Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And hear this, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Have you heard about this God who made heaven and earth? Or have the eyes of your hearts been enlightened so that you see him? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, right? the riches of his glorious inheritance, the immeasurable greatness of his power, the working of his great might through Christ's death and resurrection and ascension. That's what it means to see God and not just hear about him. If you go back to where we were in, 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 uh, in chapter 42 and then move forward to the next book, that's Psalm, uh, the book of Psalms. And in, in Psalm 19, we hear this. You, you probably have heard this psalm before. I see some nods and smiles. It's good, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving its chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing that is hidden from their, its heat. God is speaking, sometimes in a whisper, sometimes in a voice louder than rushing waters, a voice that, that shakes the foundations of the temple, thundering clouds, but he is also speaking through these scriptures. He is speaking through the godly counsel of believers. He is speaking through the events of well-being and the events of calamity right, that he causes to happen. He is speaking through the creation that his voice spoke 
into existence and that his voice upholds. And he is opening up the eyes of our hearts that we might not only hear of him by the hearing of the ears, but see him. So what is a step of faith you could take toward being intentional about seeing and hearing God's revelation of himself? Could it be setting aside some time to pray and to read and study and meditate on his scriptures? Might it be to open up to a, to a believer to tell that person of your struggles, of your questions, your sufferings, and ask them to pray that the eyes of your hearts might be open, might be enlightened to see and hear God as he is working. Not to learn answers to our questions about our circumstances, but to gain knowledge of God in his call on your life. Who is this God, king of the universe, namer of the stars, commander of the winds and waves, and Lord of hosts? Call on him, and he will answer you. He will show you great and mighty things that you have not known. Even the smallest sliver of that revelation should elicit a change in us. Like Job, it should drive us to repentance, changing not just our worldviews, but our words and our walks. This week, uh, one of our members who has been following Christ for a lot longer than, than many of us have been alive told me that he normally does his devotions uh, at the table uh, over coffee, Bible opened, looking out the window onto creation. It says he comes to God, with his requests as, as he prays and reads the Bible. Now, again, this is not a man who has never heard of God's majesty. Right? He, he's knowledgeable in faith, in theology. He's a faithful follower of God. But somehow, again, over all these years, last week's sermon brought to him a revelation. It, somehow his eyes were opened a bit further and with the, that information that he had heard, that he had known, right, became information that he knew. So Monday he said he, he entered in those devotions with a completely different worldview. Who am I to stand before this awesome God, the king of the universe? And think of that. Again, a speck on a speck. And as we talked in, in a, a men's Bible study this week, not just a speck on a speck, but there are 8 billion specks on that speck. And we're only one of them. God created us all, created it all, and upholds it, we hear in, in Hebrews, by the word of his power. And yet, that infinite God Almighty not only knows the uncountable stars, each by name, but he knows the very hairs on the heads of eight billion heads. He knows the thoughts and intentions of eight billion hearts. He knows the suffering of eight billion people. He is patient with eight billion souls, not wishing that any should perish, 
but that all should reach repentance and enter into eternal life with him. He knew you before you were conceived. He ordained each one of your days before the first one came to be. He knew how he would heal your broken hearts before they were broken, how he would bind up your wounds before you were hurt. And he knows how he will answer your prayers before you even think or ask them. And he also knows the time and manner of how you will leave this world and where you will spend eternity to follow. It's a favorite song of mine goes, Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way of my ever-wandering heart? As you take steps this week to see God with the eyes of your heart, would you take some time to consider what those glimpses are teaching you and how they are changing your worldview? If you are struggling with overwhelming obstacles at school or work or with friends, how does seeing God's majesty expressed in the vastness of the night sky, the stars spread out over us, how does that change your perspective of your circumstances? If it has seemed impossible to take the first step to mend fences with that family member who has hurt you, how does the revelation that the king of the universe shed his glory to come down to earth to die for your sins change your perspective on that? If you're committed to the idea that you are the one who determines your course of life, right? how does the knowledge that you cannot turn one hair on your head, white or black, that only God has the power to heal and destroy, how does that affect your perspective, your, your worldview? Paul writes that all have seen enough of God through what he has made. And blessed is the one whose eyes have been opened to behold even a shard of his glory. Have you seen him? Have you seen him? If so, it should change your worldview. It should change what you think, everything you think about everything. And that change of worldview will also change the way and the words that you speak. Jesus rebuked the religious leaders of his time. He said, either make the tree good and the fruit good or make the tree bad and the fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. He's speaking to the religious leaders of the time. You brood of vipers. Wonder how come he got crucified? <laughs> you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. We are a people who are designed to communicate, to communicate with God 
and communicate with the people he has placed around us. Our words bear witness to the condition of our heart. Careless, hurtful, dishonest, or otherwise wicked words, whether in times of well-being or in suffering, betray unfaithful hearts. But when God reveals himself to us, when we behold his sovereign majesty, his holiness, his righteousness, his mercy, and our worldview changes, our words will likewise bear witness to this changing heart of faithfulness. Believer, take the lessons of Job to heart. Listen to the words of your mouth. They reveal the state of your heart. When you are in suffering, do your words betray an attitude of of defeat, denial, dismissal, anger, arrogance, hopelessness, self-righteousness, and despair? Do they conform to the philosophies of the false theologies of the world? Stoicism, easy believism, prosperity gospel, self-help, fatalism, or universalism, or any other ism. When Job was first stricken with severe loss and suffering, he didn't say, it is what it is. No, he said, the Lord gave, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's only later when he began to follow the lies of this world rather than the truth of the sovereign Lord God Almighty that his words began to reflect the world, drifting, defeated, revealing his deceived heart. Brothers and sisters, keep your tongue from evil and your mouth from speaking deceit. May the Lord set a guard over our mouths. Keep watch over the doors of our lips. May we learn to keep silent in the face of things too great and too wonderful for us. May we learn to repent in dust and ashes when we darken counsel by words without knowledge. And when we do speak, may the words that we speak be ones that speak gospel truth and bear witness to our sovereign God who is abundant in righteousness and mercy, whose ways are perfect. Plans are perfect. Timing is perfect. So again, what's a step of faith you could take to make a change with your words? Maybe this week could be a a conscious decision to give God credit and glory for both your victories and your defeats. To admit, I am grieving. I am struggling with the death of my mother, of, of my father, right? of, of my brother, my, my grandfather, my aunt, my uncle, my friend, my friend's daughter. And I don't understand why they died or, or when they died or how they died. I don't understand the way they suffered the way they did. And yet I trust you. God, calm my unfaithful heart. Use me to comfort others. 
Or perhaps I am so happy with this promotion, this achievement in school or sports or job, this raise, this new home, and I am tempted to take credit for it. But you, O Lord, are the one from whom all blessings flow. Thank you, God, for your grace, for your unmerited favor. Help me to use blessings for your glory, not for mine. Or maybe this week you might say, I am hurt and angry and in deep sorrow over this broken relationship with my wife, with my husband, my parents, my kids, my friends, my coworker, my boss, my church family, my pastor, my congregant. And I want them to change. Maybe I want them to suffer. I want to be the one who is justified, not just in their eyes and in my eyes, but in the eyes of others. I want apologies. I want restitution. I want revenge. But I see that you are the God of mercy and grace, forgiveness and humility. Help me be humble. I read your command to be the one to go to the person with whom I'm in conflict to be the one to take initiative to mend fences and, and bind up wounds. But I am struggling with that, God. Please forgive me. Please help me. Maybe it's, I'm just beginning to see glimpses of your presence, God. I want to believe that you are who the, who the Bible says you are. I, I, I want to believe that you want me to return to you. I want to believe that you are offering me the forgiveness for my sins. I want to believe that you are offering me the free gift of eternal life to save me from those wages of sins, that death. But I am struggling with unbelief. It doesn't quite make sense. It's not making it to my heart. Oh, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And then if our change of worldview is true, may those changed words be accompanied by a changed walk. Show me your faith apart from your works, James writes, and I will show you my faith by my works. Righteous acts cannot save us from our sins, but genuine saving faith will be accompanied by righteous action. We often confuse the words repent and apologize. They were synonyms. We might take Job 42, verse 6, to say that Job was simply sorry for what he had said. Sorry that he had believed things that were not true about God and presumed to, to stand righteous before God. And surely we see that Job is sorry for that. He despised himself. He despised his interests. He despised his ways, but, but he set his mind not just to grieve, to be sorrowful over these things, but to repent from them, to change his ways. We have all sinned. That means we have disobeyed. We have dishonored and devalued God. Again, the sovereign king of the universe. God himself tells us that the wages of sin, what we have earned from that sin is death. Not just death in this world, but eternity of death, damnation, punishment in the hell of fire, where worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. 
And for those sins, we ought to be sorry. We ought to grieve. And one day, whether in this life or in the next, we will apologize for them with our own mouths, confessing God as Lord, Christ as our, our Lord with our own tongues and bowing our own knees. But mere sorrow, even confession, is simply acknowledging the truth. And then James, he, again, he asks, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says they have faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Changed worldview will be accompanied not only by changed words, but by a changed walk. And that may have nothing to do with new circumstances. Like Job, we may find ourselves returning to the same dust we were in 40 chapters earlier. The same suffering before we heard God's voice. Yet we will have changed. Our heart has changed. Our speech has changed. And our ways have to change. So as God's revelation changed what you know to be true, your worldview, and the way that you speak, may it change your walk. Think of a small step of faith again. You could take this week to, to start practicing that changed walk, a different direction based upon what God has revealed himself to be. If you are cheerful, how could you this week share that cheer with others? How could you be generous with that windfall? How could you teach what you have learned or lift up those who are struggling? How could you share your success, not for your own glory, but in the name of the living God and giving thanks and praise and honor to him? If you have asked that God would, would help strengthen you in your unbelief, strengthen your weak faith, what is a small step you could take toward that faithfulness? Could it be to commit yourself to an act of obedience in an area that you know you are in sin? If you are led to confess with your mouth that you need humility in your broken relationships, how can you practice that humility? Could you call or meet or write a note or an email to that person you're in conflict with? Express your sorrow at the broken relationship. Apologize, confess your sins. Ask for and offer forgiveness. Maybe this week, if you're like most of us who struggle with selfishness, how could you be intentionally generous with your time, your efforts, your skills, your treasures, your resources? Has God's revelation made you more aware, as he's made me aware, of my pride? How can you practice intentional acts of humility this week, valuing others above yourself and their needs before yours? If you've been inattentive, dishonoring, or even unfaithful to your spouse, relationally, sexually, abusively, how can you change your path from pursuing thorns of sin to, to fruit of faith? You lust for pornography. How could you not only confess that sin, but ask a trusted friend to keep you accountable for your access to and your use of the internet? Do you seek the comforts of alcohol, drugs, or something else to substitute for the God of true comfort? Who could you ask this week to help you say no to them and yes to God? 
None of this is to say that we've got the power to somehow change ourselves, that we are able to purchase our salvation with the things that we do, or that we need to somehow clean ourselves up before we can come before God. But I do believe that if we ask God, He will give us the grace to practice simple acts of obedience. And that those small acts of obedience right, will lead to a greater understanding of Him, a, a greater faith, right, a strengthened faith, a further change of our worldview and our words and, and, and our walk. With the blessing of the snow that, that we got yesterday and a lot of it, could you consider this illustration of a snowball on the side of a mountain maybe or maybe the kids building a, a, a snowman once the snow gets a little bit wetter it all starts with just a small clump and then as it rolls right it gets bigger and bigger and bigger how terrible it is when, when, when that snowball is one of unfaithfulness and denial and sin the damage it can do but how blessed, how powerful, how life, how world-changing it could be if we were caught up in an ever-growing snowball of faith, confession, and obedience. Friends, God has provided many ways here at FCBC to help you start this snowball of faith. We encourage you to talk to the person who's, who invited you here or one of the pastors, elders, or any of our believers. You can, uh, as Michael said earlier, you can drop a prayer card in the, in the box as you leave the sanctuary today and, uh, and ask us to contact you, to talk to you. You can send a note or email to one of us. We'll do the same. Maybe consider joining a, a Sunday school class. We're coming up to the next uh, term very soon or jumping into the middle of one of these right now. Maybe uh, join the Bible reading plan or or one of our Bible studies, or, or a small group. You talk to Mike Tutko, he's not here this, this week, but uh, he would love to help you. Uh, he's our, our nominations guy. He'd love to help you find a formal way uh, to, to get more involved uh, in, in serving. But what's a small step of faith you might take today that in a week, a month, a year, or a lifetime might transform into a mighty avalanche and give testimony to the power of God. Let's pray. Lord, you, 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 you speak to the snow, it falls on the earth. Uh, you speak the lightning to the corners of the skies. You spread out the sky like a cast metal mirror. Uh, and, and, we, and we can't even... Uh, keep from freezing as we're out trying to shovel some of this. Lord, you are great. You are majestic. Uh, our ears hear of you, but Lord, our eyes see you too. Uh, may we despise ourselves, repent in dust and ashes, not to, to, to cower there, but, but to proclaim your glory with, with new words, and, uh, and to live our lives uh, with new faith and purpose. We pray this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.